Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2? I'm going to read from verse 8 through to verse 19. Colossians chapter 2, it's towards the uh, latter part of the back end of your Bible. Um, It is a a letter written to um, a group of Christians gathered in uh, the uh, city of Colossae in uh, the mid-first century. And it is written by the Apostle Paul, a significant figure in uh, the Bible who has written quite uh, extensively. And in fact, most of our New Testament comprises uh, Paul's writings. So Colossians chapter 2, reading from verse 8. And uh, I want to invite you just to stand with me, and after which I will pray, and you may be seated as we hear the word of the Lord. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore... Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Father, we thank you for the written word. We recognize this morning that it is a gift for us as your people. It requires attentiveness. It requires openness. It requires humility to hear your word, to receive it, and to allow it to transform us. And so now, Father, I commit to you these next few moments of sharing what you've laid on my heart. I pray that I would share it both with truth and grace and with your love. And I pray that what is said here today would not return empty, but that it would transform and change and grow us up into the very mature people that God has called us to be. I thank you for this church, for its people, and pray now that through your spirit you would minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
It is so fun to be a part of this church, this community. Um, it is fun to see our children. Uh, when they come forward, I, all, I always just feel so encouraged. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I couldn't help but just look at little Dot when she came forward and, and just her face, you know, and her expectation. And uh, she's just sitting there, you know, just waiting. And, um, you know, our children, my children, uh, well, actually, you know, our children, Ruthann and mine, because she had a part to play in having them. Uh, they don't necessarily sit down like that with anticipation uh, without becoming a little antsy. But it's so wonderful to have our children in our community and as a part of our community. And not just, uh, you know, on the periphery, but a very significant part of this church. And uh, Pastor Jeff, I just want to take a moment to, to personally encourage you and let you know that he is doing an outstanding job in providing leadership and direction over our children, children's ministry. And so uh, I, I want to also ask you, be sure to let him know, especially if you're a parent, uh, that you are very encouraged by what you're seeing. And I trust that some of you have noted the wonderful direction and uh, leading that has come uh, through his leadership there. Amen? Now, you look, you look very, very serious this morning. I've come to know that looks can be deceiving, and so I'm going to in faith preach as if you want to hear the Word of God, and uh, that you're not angry with me, okay? <laughs> uh, the book of Colossians is probably, without a doubt, in my own life, becoming one of the most significant letters in the New Testament. Uh, at the heart of this epistle is the response given in chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. Now, I have just read it, but I want to read it for those of us who needs to be reminded of what we just heard. In verse 9, this is what it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. The message of Colossians is quite simple. In fact, I have one more message to preach on this particular letter next week, and you will hear pretty much the same thing, but still come. And this is what Colossians is saying repeatedly, that Christ is, in fact, sufficient. He is enough that the Colossian Christians do not have to pursue other knowledge. Uh, they do not have to pursue other traditions and rules and regulations. That in fact, the Jesus that has been presented to them is sufficient for them to know God. This particular text says this, that the fullness of God, deities in most of your translations, this is what it means. It's not saying that Jesus has divine qualities. It is not saying that Jesus has some characteristics of God. What Paul is saying is that God is fully present within him. And therefore, there are implications. Just stay with me for a second. That anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, therefore should not seek for any fullness anywhere else because all of God is in him. That Christianity is an invitation to recognize that in the person of Jesus Christ, all of God is present. Look, uh, you know, uh, the, the, there was these false teachers in the Colossi church. They, they were teaching, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Colossian Christians, you know, you, you, you've accepted Jesus Christ. Yes, 
you, you've accepted him, but perhaps you need to fulfill some of that acceptance so that you can know this God the way that we know him. And so more knowledge, experience, divine revelation needs to be given to you. One of the commentators when explaining what these powers or, or insights or knowledge is that these false teachers spoke about explained it this way, that there was a worldview, a philosophy uh, that, was, that was seducing the Christians away from the simplicity of their faith to trust in Jesus Christ as enough by suggesting that, that there were these, 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 these powers, these spiritual powers given by some kind of deity uh, and, and, and they were to appropriate it to humanity and that the only way that you could appropriate that special, uh, that special knowledge and experience that insight would be to participate in certain kinds of activities and to listen to certain kinds of teaching and to experience it in that form. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that Jesus is completely enough. The knowledge you seek is complete in him. Not only does he say that Jesus is enough, that all of God is in Jesus, but he says this, all of God is in the physical Jesus, in the body of Jesus. You know, the implications of verse 9 is this, not only is all of God in Christ, but here's what Paul is saying, all of God is in the human body of Christ. Now, I know that doesn't excite most of us, but I think you will realize how significant a statement that is. Christianity does not oppose the body. Now, some of you sitting here saying, you know what, Stu, I've read Paul before, and Paul clearly says, you know, this flesh, this bad flesh. And he encourages us elsewhere. He says, I want you to be led by the spirit and not by the flesh. Paul is not making our bodies corruptible. He's not saying that our body in and of itself is bad. When he speaks elsewhere of the flesh in a negative way, he's talking about those desires that corrupt us, those desires that we can be led off by. And I want you to understand how important this is, that Christian spirituality is not a disembodied spirituality. It does not only speak of the body as something to be opposed, or contrary to what we are to be as human beings. It speaks of a spirituality that in fact indwells the physical. This is why it is profoundly important for us as Christians to recognize that what we indeed do with our physical bodies can manifest a spiritual reality and what the spiritual reality is within us can be revealed through our human flesh. I want to put it in a different way. Do not think of your Christian lives as having no immediate impact on who you are as you feel, as you experience, and as you live this life. For to speak of such a spirituality is not to speak of what the Bible talks about, what the New Testament speaks about when it says that in Jesus Christ, in his physical being, all of God has dwelled. And then in verse 9, which is perhaps breathtaking if you think about it, he says this, and then Jesus includes you and gives him very self to you so that you too would be filled. This is why in our tradition, I know this is not exciting yet, but my last two notes on my page is very exciting. Just wait for it. It's super, super awesome. This is why we cannot be Christians who do not care about our world 
This is why we cannot be Christians who do not care about physical needs. This is why we cannot be truly followers of Jesus Christ if we are not engaged in the restoration and redemption of the brokenness within our world. This is why we cannot be Christians and not care what we actually do with our hands, with our feet, with our minds, with our eyes. For to be Christian is to be an integrated person. It is to be the person that is open in our physical frame to the spiritual truth and reality of God's presence. It is somebody that is connected very much to their body, but their body does not necessarily have primacy over their life. In fact, the Christian has said, I have given myself over to the Lordship of Christ. He fills me, he leads me, he guides me, and I submit myself humbly to his Lordship, to his ways. So the implications of verse 9, are you still with me? The implications of uh, verse 9 are twofold. As Christians... We have to recognize that often we are tempted, like the Colossians, to try and fill what Jesus already has done. We are, we are tempted to live out of our own sense of deficiency. We, we tend not to believe that God in Christ has given us his full self, his very presence to be with us. And secondly, that this very Jesus Christ is the example of how we can live in this world as human beings with flesh and blood, yet experiencing the power and the presence of God within our lives. You see, to to speak biblically of what it means to be a Christian is to say that the divine does not oppose the body and can inhabit it. And the invitation of this particular letter is to live out of that reality, to live out of that hope that in fact we can live and share in the very victory of Jesus Christ through faith. The Christian outlook in Colossians is the New Testament perspective for all Christians. Christ is sufficient because he has overcome the powers and the authorities of, the, of this world. And we as Christians can share in that very same sufficiency, that very same victory when we unite ourselves to him. And so this morning I do want to focus, that was just my prelude. Now begins my introduction. I want to invite us to consider what it means to live in the victory of Christ. How do we share in this victory? In uh, this very scripture we read, we we learn that, that this Jesus has overcome the powers and the authorities. He has exposed it for what it is. He has triumphed over them through the cross. We are taught that this Jesus Christ is the greater one over all these particular things. And as the scripture has already painted for us a picture, that this victorious Christ says you who confess and who become a part of this family of faith now share in the very same victory that I have attained. Um, you know, one of the things that struck me and the reason I'm preaching on this particular theme is because I don't know if many Christians have appropriated this truth within their lives. This idea 
that Christ has already won the victory over the principalities and powers. Now the principalities and powers is used intentionally by Paul because those teaching were teaching about principalities and powers that were necessary for them to to know God. And when Paul uses this very same language, he's taking their words and, and, and reinvesting the meaning in Jesus Christ and saying Christ has ultimate power over all things. I tend to think that most Christians live as if this is not really true. You see, because if this is really true, then no matter what we experience or see in this world, we will still have hope. We will still be able to continue on, no matter what happens to us personally, no matter happens to even our families, no matter what the world does, no matter Ebola. And by the way, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, I, we had a friend visit here with us from Zimbabwe. And I, and I talked to him and I said, man, and this is just as Ebola broke. You know, I said, man, you, you know, are you, <laughs> are you concerned? Are, do you guys know where Zimbabwe is? It's south, right? So anyway, on the continent of Africa, right? And Africa is a continent. And so uh, so, someone should tell Drew Carey that. He referred to Africa as a country. And, and And so, you know, so I was talking to him after one of our services, and I said to him, I said, I said, uh, you must be concerned about this. And he looked at me kind of strangely. He said, Ebola? I said, yeah, he knew about it. But 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 what he was what he was pointing out, he was pointing out, Stu, that's North West, and we're down here. And as I talked to him more, you know, I, I kind of realized that maybe I was, I, I tend to be a little bit hypochondriac with things that happen in the world, you know, and if someone says to me they have some kind of bug, I, I, I immediately start feeling something in my chest. Uh, I, you don't know this about me, but my wife does, and, and, and I always go to the worst possible place. So he was making this point, it's, it's quite a distance, it's, it's quite a distance, I think my family is okay. But then this thought dawned on me. In Africa, people have a lot more to be concerned about than Ebola. HIV AIDS, poverty, TB still kills hundreds of thousands of people. And it kind of just struck me how that, that in that moment, you know, Ebola, this thing that is very significant. Ruthann gave me stats yesterday. It said, how many people now have died by it? Infected? 13. 13,000 people infected. That is serious. That is significant. And the problems within our world is significant. But here's what the scripture is telling us. The scripture is saying as significant as the problems may be, Jesus Christ through the cross of Christ has overcome all of where that looks like it's heading. In him there is truly victory. Therefore, stay with me for a second, the personal experiences of your and my life, the things right now that feels like your Ebola, the thing right now that burdens you, the challenges you have, the disappointments you have, the personal experiences you have, as it pales in comparison to the greater problems of the world, it all is taken up in the great Savior Jesus Christ who has overcome not only your personal sin, not only the cosmic problems of this world, but everything in you and without it. That is the hope of Christianity. Oh, friends, if that truth grabs a hold 
Oh man, Some, uh, Trent told me the other day I stood on a chair when I was preaching. I could not remember doing that. I, I actually think it would take away any kind of sanctity that some people have attributed to me, but apparently I stood on this chair. If there's a point that I need to make by standing on a chair, it is this one. Nothing is greater than he. Nothing is greater than he. You see, the Christian outlook on life is this. Those of you who like history, World War II, 1944, I can't remember the exact date. You're smiling, I threw in a history plug for you. The exact date, for those of you who know my wife, she, she loves history. And uh, I, I can't remember the exact month and day, but in 1944, when the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy in France, and a decisive blow was dealt to the enemy on that day. We all know that the enemy was defeated on that day and that every victory after that was a smaller victory because of what happened on D-Day as it is referred to. Let me say it to you this way. We as Christians know that D-Day has already happened through the cross of Christ and every other battle that subsequently follows it, already we know the outcome for he has slain the worst that is out there. My friends, your wars pales in comparison to the big war that has been won. Your battles he can and has overcome. And you and I, who now share in the life of God through our baptism, participate in the fullness of Jesus Christ with the Father, we are invited in to living a victorious life. How are you doing? How do you do when, when things don't work out? How are you doing when life seems to be unfair? How, how, how do you, do you get overwhelmed? You know, I, I'm amazed how often I get overwhelmed. Just driving overwhelms me. I know a bunch of you drive big trucks, okay? So I'm just going to say this out straight. Because you have a big truck doesn't mean you own the road. (laughs) I, I, I can so easily become thrown, so easily overwhelmed, but then there's more serious things other than driving, right? There's problems and shortcomings that I don't have enough or, or this comes my way and I don't expect it. And, and I seem to possibly, and I'm just being very honest with you, I don't seem to live with this victory assured most of my life. I seem to be the kind of Christian that is always kind of thinking, man, I got to fight. I got to claw my way. I got to make it. I got to get there. And listen, there's nothing wrong with working hard and, and, and figuring out problems. But here's what I'm trying to say to all of us today. There's no way that you and I can bring a right to all things. There's no way that you and I can protect our lives from being affected by the acts or the, or, or the things that randomly happen in our world. There's no way that I can guarantee that because you're a Christian today, everything you pray for will be given to you and you will have enough and you will escape some hardships and challenges. But what the Christian faith offers us through the book of Colossians is this. My friends, in the end, we know how the story ends and we can have hope even in our sickness 
even in our suffering, even in our pain. So how do we enter in? How do we begin to live in this victory? You'll see that there are several images in the scripture. One is of circumcision, and all the men here cringe. Uh, I have a German friend. His name is Jörg Eich, um, Eich, I should say. And uh, Jörg, one preached, Jörg preached once, and uh, he used this particular text, and, 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 and he got the heart of it. He says, the circumcision sp- spoken of here is, is not a physical circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart is the word he used. Uh, the, 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 the other image that is spoken of here, the other symbol that is brought out here is the image of baptism. You know, if we want to start living in the victory, the Apostle Paul is saying to Colossians, if you want to start living out of this deficiency that they're telling you you have, and you want to start living in victory, he's doing, he's doing a couple of things. The first thing he's saying to them is this. Remember that circumcision which marked the Israelites as God's people has been done by Christ for you, not in a physical way, but in a relational way. You are a part of him now. You belong. And the second image that he uses, are you still with me, is that of baptism. He says, for you have died to your former way of life, and Christ has been risen by God, so you are lifted up. You are raised to live a new life. And so quite simply, this is what I want to say to you today as I close. That the way in which we begin to live in victory is not a way that at first appears to lead us towards victory. You see, the the symbol of victory is the most obscure one in Scripture. It is that of a barren cross. You see, the way in which Jesus overcomes evil, overcomes the principalities, is not with military power. When I, when I chose the, the title for this sermon and I, and I, I used the word victory, I, I cringed a little bit because I know that most of us, when we hear victory, interpret it either in some kind of military fashion or, or, or in some kind of self-serving way, uh, in some kind of uh, you know, non-Christian way. But when I chose it, I chose it because it is a victory that comes to us through the cross, that the way in which Jesus disarms the power is by being so submissive to God that he literally gives his life away. You see, the way in which the power is deconstructed is not with an opposing military power, but it is with the power of suffering love. It is through the Christ who says, I will give my life away. And in doing so, evil do your worst. Make me bloody. Stab me in my side. Nail me to a cross. For even when you have done your worst, the Father who knows who I am, the Father who knows what his plan is, will raise me from your very worst. And then he says, each and every Christian must be baptized. Do you know what baptism is? Baptism is the cross of Christ coming to us. It is us saying, I will do what Jesus has done. I will give my life away, for I know that as I do so, he will raise me up. And so, what does it mean? I think first and foremost, it requires a willingness to die. Doesn't sound nice. 
Do you know that the image in Revelation of Jesus Christ is that of a lamb seated on the throne? A bloodied lamb. Did you know that? Isn't it interesting that that image is used because I think it captures the suffering love that at the end, even those who give their life can be assured that Christ will raise them up. Here's what I want to say. If we are to live in victory, we must come to the point of praying the same kind of prayer that Christ prayed as he approached the cross. Fully human, fearing what was laying ahead, recognizing the agony and the brutality of what was to come, he said, if at all possible, don't let me go this way. If at all possible. You know, I heard a teacher say the most vulnerable time in history was right there. You know, we we tend to think of Jesus mechanically. Perhaps his divinity overrode his humanity, you know. But we believe in the incarnation that in every way he was tested and tempted like you and I. He he understood, he, he knew that he didn't want to be tortured. He didn't want to be flogged. You know, the passion of the Christ does a good job in bringing us to the reality, the the visual reality of that moment. But it was not only his physical pain, for he would take upon himself such a deep, deep burden, such a deep, deep pain. The weight of this world in that very moment. And yet he says, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, the way in which we live in victory is to to recognize that the cross calls you and I to live in a very different way. It, It calls us to a surrender of my will and, and to the primacy of his will for my life. This is not about getting Jesus to work things out for me. This is not about having Christianity meet my needs, though it can. But this is about the person who says, I believe that Jesus has overcome the worst things in this world, and I know that I participate in that victory when I become like he did, and I too surrender to the will of God in my life. Let me ask you this morning, have you prayed a prayer where you said, God, not my will, but thy will be done? Have you said, Father, even if you ask me to give up things that I really like, I'm okay giving up things I don't like, like dark chocolate. And I know that's ironic because look at my complexion. Ruthann likes dark chocolate, just so you know. You guys are all looking pretty serious, yeah? God does not always ask us to give up that which is hard to give up uh, because it's detrimental to us. He asks us that to give up that which is hard for us sometimes because we really like our way, our will. We really like getting him on our page in my life. You know, songs that we sing and 
It's taken five years for some of you to figure out I preach the same message every Sunday. Is that all to him I surrender? I give myself to him. What does this look like in your workplace? What does this look like in your family? What does it look like in your relationship to have his will be done and not your own? Can I tell you what it looks like? Man, there's moments when I live like that. There's moments when I live like that. And when I live like that, I am a blessing to my wife and my children. And I'm a blessing to this church. And I'm a blessing to others. When my will has been laid to rest and I say, your will be done, I am so much more gracious. I'm so much more patient. I'm so much more loving. I'm so less insecure. But when my will compels my life, then when you don't do what I quietly hope you do, and when you don't look at me right, and when things don't go right in my life according to my will, then I'm devastated. I'm angry. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. But you, you see, that the freedom that comes from the one who gives their life to the will of God is a freedom that literally transforms the very landscape of our lives, the relationships we have, the people around us. I can't help but wonder what will change around you in your relationships with the people you share life with, uh, how will things change if, if you and I start to say, not my will, but your will be done? What does it mean for the cross of Christ to so confront us and to so overwhelm us that, that we say, Father, we know it's not easy to live this way, but, but we're going to live this way. We, we're going to take a chance on you. We, we, we're going to live by your will, by your way. I don't know how many of you, uh, including myself, think about it this way, but, but the invitation is to a true freedom that only comes when we let go so that we can fully be embraced by him. So yes, it requires a willingness to die, but it also requires faith to live. You know, the story of the cross is not complete, complete unless it is a barren one. There is no body on that cross for a reason. Neither was there any body in the tomb. Because you see, the cross, the story is not complete without the resurrection. You see, uh, you and I are not only called to to give our lives away and, and to say yes to the will of God and, and to say, Father, whatever my past, whatever my problems, whatever my, I, 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 I am now all yours. I'm all in, whatever you want to do. But we are called to believe and to have faith that the very same power that raised Jesus from the cross and from the tomb is the very same power that works in you and me. The same God who raised Jesus is the same God who raises us. You see, the implications are startling. The implications are this, that sin does no longer have power over you, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. I want you to hear this and let it 
Let it sink in. Listen, it is one thing to say, you know, I want to do the will of God. It's something else to have faith that that cross and that resurrection and that spirit that he gives you and me enables us to live the kinds of life that brings victory over sin. My friends, I'm not pretending for one moment here to belittle this and just to make it a platitude of theology. I, 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 I'm not here to, to either make you feel uncomfortable, but I, I think there's a, there's a problem when we don't believe what Jesus says is possible for you and I. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He, he, he goes on, he says this later, he says, you know, now, now leave your life of immorality behind. Now, now, now live differently. Now, I wish he, he, gave, he gave more to it. You know, he says, if you, if you did this, this, and this, then you will. You know, you know, but here's what he's saying. He's saying because that greater power is now at, at work within you, it is possible. It is possible. I don't know if you're struggling here today, um, you know, uh, with, 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 do you know what the worldview was, by the way, of the Colossians? It was a syncretic worldview. So they borrowed the best of Jewish uh, ideas in terms of ceremony and the best of paganism, and they cobbled them together, and they said, a little bit of Christianity, and now you have a working kind of philosophy to go by. You know, uh, you know it's, it's this idea that you can kind of put things together and make it work, you know. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, you don't have to cobble anything else together when it comes to your own brokenness and sin, because Christ's power can work within you and can bring victory and freedom. And dare I say here this morning that he is doing so in many a life. You know, some, some, some people struggle with addictions and some people struggle with uh, tempers. You know, some people struggle with self-centeredness and, 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 and hey, you know, I, I'm not excluding myself in that, but, but, but I, I have come to believe in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've come to believe that, that in his strength and in his power at work within me, my friends, I do not have to be defined by sin, and neither do you. Not only does it require faith, to live and to believe that sin cannot have or be our master. It requires faith to believe that when we surrender our lives to him like this, that we can be a part of seeing his kingdom come in the city of Calgary and the world. We we can see his healing and his restoration come. You see, we, we've been called as the church of God to, to believe that the resurrection power is not only a power that can personally deal with our sin, but it is a power that can deal cosmically, globally, with the problems in the world. And the way in which it is done is through the body of Christ. You see, I, I believe today that we need to have faith to believe that Skyview can do a lot more damage for the kingdom. <laughs> for greater is he that is in us 
than he is in the world. Uh, what would it be for our church to start dreaming that the kind of work we do in our world is kingdom restorative, victorious work? What would it look like for us as a community of faith to start seeing God's kingdom come through how we, we come together and how we serve, not only here in the church, but outside of the church? Faith to believe that these things are possible. Sin does not have to be our master. We do not have to be hopeless about the conditions around us, but we can together start working towards the end that we know is coming. And then finally, just as a, a thought, faith to believe that there will come a day in which every tear will be wiped. Every sickness will come to an end. Every death overturned. Every war give way to peace. Every hope realized. For we are a people who believe that we know how the story ends. This morning, as uh, Kelly comes and prepares to lead us in a few songs, um, over the last several weeks, I have been praying uh, a very specific prayer for this community of faith. Um, I shared with you, not because I want you to, to take off on your accountability sheet for your pastor that is praying. Uh, I shared with you because I think it is a prayer that more of us should be praying. Um, it's a prayer that God's Holy Spirit would uh, renew us, would uh, perhaps shake us up a little bit. I don't know if you like that prayer for your life, but I've been praying it. So if you feel a little shook up, I'm sorry. It's kind of like the missionary last week who prayed for snow, and look what happened. <laughs> and once again, I would say that God is starting to stir, and he's starting to disrupt. And sometimes the way that God starts to work is, is when he starts to kind of dislodge us from our comfort. It doesn't always feel good. And, and you know, some of us may come to church because we need to be encouraged, and I understand that. I, I want to encourage you. I want sermons to encourage you. I don't want you to come to church and every time it feels like I took a cricket bat. You know what a cricket bat is? And beat you over the head with it. That's, that's not the point of the preaching. But, but, but I, I do want to see the Holy Spirit kind of just shake some of us loose a little bit. To start grasping and leaning in to this great life that He's made possible. If you're sitting here today and you're tired of you know, you're just tired of the sin that so easily entangles you. Oh, his grace is sufficient. If you're sitting here today and you said, you know, Stu, I want, I want my Christianity to mean more than just my own life. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people helped. His grace is sufficient. Stu, I want, I want my life to have a deeper meaning, a, a more profound meaning than just accumulating wealth and making myself happy. His grace is sufficient. And this morning as Kelly leads, and I, I don't know how this will happen, but I want to pray that you would not let 
anything keep you from that invitation? To say, yes, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. Father, I uh, thank you so much for your word. And um, I think about all the voices and all the people have said to me in my growing up that you're not good enough. I think of those who sit amongst us who struggle with self-worth today. Stretching and reaching to find that which only comes when we realize that you look and have given all that we need. We are in you made complete. And so I pray for that person today, that person who's saying, I may look apart, but I definitely inside, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm loved. I don't feel like I'm worthy. And I pray that the grace of God would find such a person. I pray for those whom you're dislodging, you, you're quietly shifting the ground from other than them. They, 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 they may have had a plan, they may have had a thought, this, this is what I'm going to do with my life, this is what I consider to be important. I pray that as you start to shift the ground, Lord, that, that the insecurity would, would give way to a trust and a hopefulness that what you have prepared is far more rich, deep, meaningful, and filled with grace. I pray for Skyview, that this community of faith in, 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 in all of what we are and not, I pray that we would be invigorated, filled with your presence so, so that we would be that body in the city and in this world. Father, make us an influential church. In Jesus' name. The altars are always open. And so... Lead us, Kelly, as you see fit.